welcome to Actions Antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. And as you kind of continue along your journeys and build your own things, one of the important aspects of that journey is going to be branding. Branding is something that a lot of people have some weird and interesting thoughts about, which we'll cover in this episode, but we all have a brand and a brand is a good way of kind of understanding what service someone offers. You think about your favorite brands, Nike, Whole Foods, anything, there's an automatic mental image or an automatic feeling associated with that brand. Here today, my guest is here to talk to us about the importance of branding and how we can go about visualizing and creating a good story for our particular brand. Today's guest is Kyle Asperger, the founder of Studio 301. Kyle, welcome to the program. Stephen, thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. And I hate talking about myself, so this is nothing but just pure torture. Oh, well, sorry. Most of my guests tell me, oh, I loved your questions. I love I coming on and talking on. about my thing. But yeah. <laughs> The first thing I want to dive right into is like a brand is a story. How do people generally think about their brands? Probably the wrong way. (laughs) I think that's going to be my default just because it circles back to what we were just talking about. And this is the armchair expert in me. That's the psychological. Okay. I've been through therapy. I know myself now. Yada, yada. I'm still, I'm always working on myself as we all should be. And that is the crux of it. Whether it's, a brand revolving around the individual or a brand revolving around the product, the key is to do all of that, the footwork, the heavy lifting, go through the painful moments of the conversations that leave you physically ill because it's through those, through the struggle in life that marks, notes, embrace the struggle. And that I think is so true within the world of like just branding. Know yourself, know your product, know it thoroughly. And thus, the brand will sort of come to life as a byproduct of that. And with this know yourself, know your brand, know your product, is there an order to this or is this all kind of happen in parallel? Well, it is a bit different because if you're talking purely product, that perhaps is a bit more easy to create and cover brand around as opposed to an individual, which is severely more complex. You know, if somebody is a coach or something along that lines that the individual is critical and core to whatever value they bring to the table, that versus a product, a product is pretty self-explanatory what the uses are for. People are just more complex beings. Interesting. And so do you typically work with products more or people we don't really find ourselves working within a niche. And as far as the services or products that are provided, what I do on a regular basis is strictly work with people. That's what I do all the time. I just go out and try to find friends. That's it. Just being here on the podcast, like the part that was fun for me is just chopping it up about the psychological social psychology course, you know, understanding like, okay, where's Steven coming from with this podcast and what are the tools that he is sort of employing? What makes him truly Steven? That's the kind of stuff that makes me excited because if I was just doing the same thing for one company, I would blow my brains out long ago and we would not be having (laughs) this conversation. So yeah, for sure. So thankfully that did not happen. I think my parents all four of them would be very happy to know. 
the honest answer is it's strictly people. You can't even think about product because behind the product are people. We're not at a place where AI is taken over so much so that AI can now create products for us on our behalves. At the crux of every brand, you have people. And is there a variance? Because when I think of a brand like Nike, I don't tend to really think of people because it's such a large company with a history and the original founders are long gone and things have transitioned versus, say, an individual art studio on the other end of the spectrum where this art studio is this person's art and that art is showing a, usually if they're good, a very, very deep, integral part of who they are. I'll call it like a personalized element because that, you know, when it comes to like what we can offer, that's really the only main differentiator. We're small, we're highly communicative. And the larger the team, the less sort of Johnny on the spot you can be with like how quickly the team could get back to you or less and less meetings and rounds of revision and different people of hierarchies that things have to go through. Now with Nike, there's an interesting sort of story that like the former CEO was a good friend of a family friend here. And so this family friend ran over 100 marathons in his lifetime. And for his hundredth marathon, the former CEO of Nike had him made a specific like custom pair of shoes there's only two pairs that exist in the world and they were made explicitly for him. And so his name is Mike. And so on the back being a, a relative shoe layman, I'm going to call it like the spine of the shoe leading down to the heel where it would often say like Nike and said Mikey's Nikes on there and like <laughs> nice. marathon on there. It was epic. They were so cool. And I thought, what an extraordinary story. It was just very interesting. And so it's, you know, that's a moment where, I guess, just as you said, like you think Nike, you don't think people, you don't think the inner workings, the, all the gears and cons that actually go into making a business. You just think about the shoes, you think about the commercials, the apparel, your sweat stained, fly knit, blah, you know, all that stuff. And we, you know, what's the newest, hottest item that's coming out? And then small studios, sure, the like inherent bent is to think, okay, you're going to get this boutique service. And so thus you have this sort of expectation that customer service is going to be more intimate. You could even walk out knowing about each other's daddy issue. I don't know, you know, yeah. whatever it turns <laughs> into, you're going yep. to have that more personalized effect, but big or small, it's still those kind of like little stories that I always think are interesting. Whether it's an individual art studio or a big brand like Nike, is it a challenge for them to get that story out. And so that when people see a Nike in a store, they should be thinking about the CEO running his hundredth marathon and the same similar story for any other product that you see. Well, I think that's the important part is that because the CEO knows these people that are running marathons in this volume, those are the stories that I think are worth telling. That's what is indicative of a brand. You know, a brand is how people talk about whatever the product, whatever the service, whoever the individuals are, you have a brand. I have a brand. Everybody has a brand, whether or not they're actually aware of it. The brand is more or less just your commonly known reputation. If a brand is just a commonly known reputation, is that something that is important for every single person to think about? Because I can imagine a situation where say someone's got a whole bunch of pictures on social media and every one of them is them falling down drunk and it suddenly becomes a brand, right? What's the danger in people 
outside of business, even not thinking about their brand? The first word that comes to mind is reckless. Tighten up people. Come on, do better. I'm not here to crack the whip like that. That's completely unrealistic. Everybody is allowed to do exactly what they are allowed to do. And perhaps if that's their vibe and they're out in nightclubs, you know, getting slashed, I'm fine. Sure. I've been through those days. I just got to a point where there's my values shifted and there's just been a greater understanding gained. So the point is through growth, what one may feature is recklessness in their younger years can and hopefully would evolve into a more learned stance of, well, that was kind of the old me. That was the old brand. Why not take this period to, you know, really reassess, have those heartthrob conversations, reassess where's my love life? Is it healthy? Am I surrounding? Who are the 10 people that I am putting the majority of my energy into? Like, are these good people to keep around? All right. Well, you're going to be hauling trash bags out into the street if that's the case. But end of day, once you've done all that clearing, whether it's just up here mentally or physical back, you know, whatever it turns into, that's where then you're more or less kind of clearing your canvas for what's next. And when it comes to brands of products or established brands of groups, do you think it's easier to start from scratch or do you think it's easier to, or more interesting to turn around a brand because there are so many stories about companies that kind of lose their way and their brand suddenly becomes associated with something different than what they want it to be. And they need to actually turn that story around and establish a new one. I think that's a good question because like, I guess I would see it as like the before and after you see it with like breast augmentation, stuff like that. You know, that's a very face value example of that all the time, but that's how people come to gauge whether or not this is a successful endeavor. You can see the tangible differences between what this brand was versus what it is now, what it's become. There is a journey, a transformation that happens regardless of how many individuals, you know, put the work in to actually initiate the change. So I would venture to say that taking an existing item and shifting it, sort of carving out a new brand or reputation, I'm not going to say it's more interesting. However, just based on how human psychology works, the before and after aspect affords us a much more pragmatic look at, well, was this even effective? And we see... Are, are they bringing in more money? Are they getting more viewers or you know, foot traffic? Whatever the different statistics are that they are aiming for and can change based on whatever the goals are. But having those tangible items is huge. Starting a new, however, can be just as interesting because it gives you that, like the opportunity to, you know, you're not starting with anything. You're starting with an idea, you're cooking it, you're throwing different ingredients in there and you're making this kind of full bodied meal that hopefully serves a very specific purpose. And as such, that gives you an opportunity to get a completely new message out into the market. There's joy that can be taken and found in both. However, within getting a brand new message out, there's a little test and learn to it. Then a lot of it comes down to like your existing market. You know, if you take a, an existing market and you say, we're gonna kind of keep the same general service, but shift, a couple different words or things like internally, then, all right, well, that's not a huge shift, but like IBM that went from 
back in like the 90s or potentially 80s or something like that, they had one of the biggest corporate shifts ever featured a company like that size. That's unheard of. Once you shift like that, you could be potentially changing your entire market, the individuals you're speaking to, the individuals or businesses. You're saying that if you're coming into an existing market and just competing with the existing companies or brands out there, although it's a new story for you, there's a story kind of already there that you're changing. And likewise, you could have a brand that already exists, but if you're completely changing your entire structure, then it almost becomes like a new story. So it's not as cut and dry between the two scenarios. One fascinating scenario that I'm observing right now is actually with Facebook, the platform, because I oftentimes observe that Facebook no longer has the support of its initial target market. It was initially a college student audience. And now Facebook is for better or for worse, known as the brand for people over 55. I'm wondering how often it is that these IBM type stories happen where someone can completely change. When you completely change your target market, you're completely changing your brand in a way and yet still be successful. Or if there's too much of a disconnect that oftentimes tears organizations apart. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because you're correct in that A, if I ever want to see my parents' photographs from a trip they've taken, Facebook is the immediate answer. Yeah, so exactly. Right there with you. B, I don't know if Facebook, and I've been with Facebook for a number of years. I say that, like, God, I'm so brand loyal. I'm still a Facebook. <laughs> yeah. I barely use Facebook. They have grown and evolved, most certainly. I don't know if they've made the same kind of pivot that I referenced with IBM specifically. IBM took everything that they were doing and said, we're not doing that anymore. We're now doing this because I think it came down to like supply chain from either China or Japan. I don't know. I just read about it. And unfortunately, my information retention is minimal in that sense. So before I get too, too many botched details in there, I'm going to stop talking about them. But Facebook did start exactly as just what you mentioned is that like the college directory to just find out gross yeah essentially but then from there it's grown and grown and grown exponentially that's the difference between i think ibm's pivot that we noted whereas that's a hard stop let's start with this and facebook still maintain kind of the crux of their original model but they've just been building it and building it and building it and every day like, every time that facebook was had another update you'd hear people be like ah fuck facebook this layout sucks and all this <laughs> stuff. you get that all the time and i still yeah. feel that way with iphone there was a time that they moved the alarm button and i had to like download a different app i'm like we're on number 11 here folks how haven't come on <laughs> haven't we figured that out now um <laughs> yeah so it goes to show the biggest companies in the world the Nikes, the Apples, Facebooks. I mean, Facebooks had a litany of lawsuits. There's privacy issues. There's, it, it, it is to say yeah. that it's everywhere. You don't fuck shit up, regardless of how big companies are. And potentially, it's even easier to do that with more people because then you have to deal with all these different communication channels and chains. And the farther the people are from the CEO, the communication just gets more and more ambiguous, I guess. 
Yeah. Unless you have some of those purposely really flat or holacracy type of organizations. Yeah. And smaller organizations, thus less of an issue because you can have a very easy open up conversation most often with whoever the founding partners are and within no time at all. Everybody's <laughs> on the same page. Yeah. It's all hunky dory. No World War Three. Look at that. Do you work with the challenge of brand transformation or brand recognition more? Because in the early stages, oftentimes people are just trying to get their brand recognized, get someone to notice that they're out there. Transformation and recognition are both massive words within the realm of just the ambiguous marketing. Well, somebody says, all right, owner's kid comes in as a summer gig. Say this company hasn't really had a logo in 40 plus years. The kid comes in and says, Pops, what are you doing, man? You have zero brand. You have to do something about this. So that, in that sense, is a transformation because the company's been around. They've been operational and they have a viable product. They have a market. And the transformation is going more or less from zero to one. And one is having that brand established visually, like the logo, the design package, all that stuff. That's a transformation opportunity, which is sort of just indicative of refining existing. Now, recognition is different in that one can transform and not be recognized because of the people behind it. You could have the least functional website out in the ether, just everything at face value. Any expert would look at it and just be like, oh my God. I sincerely hope that these people are looking to transform and <laughs> bring in copywriter, bring in the designer, bring in the video team and yeah, do all this stuff to fix it. But that company may well not actually need to because they just have extraordinary people. They have solid networks. You don't need the most polished brand in the world to actually have a decently recognized brand. And I'm the first person to say that, you know, if somebody says, well, we need a logo designed. I say, well, go to Fiverr if you don't have much of a budget. It's what you do with it that really matters. You can take a dog turd and throw it and people will be well aware of it if you throw it correctly. If you just leave it lying, no one's going to be aware of it. Interesting. So if someone is struggling to get their brand recognized for one reason or another, what do you think is the most important thing that this person or these people should be thinking about? Well, A, the crux of it is it depends on what the service, what the product, the intricacies of what is being provided to the market and whether that market is B2B, B2C, yada, yada. So it's going to be highly dependent on that. And then highly dependent on, by extension, who they're talking to, like the specific market, the individuals. Because if you cater to my parents, for example, they're mid-60s, well, then sure, Facebook ads are going to be more ideal to you know, communicate with them. However, if you're dealing with Gen Z, it's a very different approach. And I'm assuming that different approach not only includes platform, but also how you're going about telling the story and what types of stories are going to resonate with that particular group of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. like one for the Facebook group, you're inclination could be, all right, well, we got to bring in a copywriter for this and get like a quick kind of like punchy video that's, you know, well, well worded, something that will kind of like make that like quick impact and grab people's attention. But it could be a bit more mission driven. 
driven in that sense. And Facebook could be a very good medium and platform to address with that. TikTok conversation could be as simple as, oh, I don't know, my daughter's in high school. Let me see if I can get her to do something. <laughs> <laughs> that shit works. That's the unfortunate thing. You can try to make a formula for it as much as you want, but some cases and some things, it's like TikTok, there's different, I guess I'll call them like strains of media that come out of TikTok exclusively. They could be the dances, they could be memes, they could be just syncing up a, a song to a, just a quick like two second video of somebody snowboarding. All of these different things were not industry standard even five years ago. Yeah, exactly. Instagram did start this. So we were sort of pushing in this realm, but even now that we're like really kind of deep into the social media culture, like all these different strains of video media, yada, yada, like have changed. Like the way that somebody can write a meme and then show somebody else's like response. I was thinking, who the hell was the first person that even made this? That like now it's going like gangbusters. You see it all the time. So it sounds like it's hard to predict. And a lot of people watch the Super Bowl primarily for the ads because those are the ones that people spend the most money on. And you still see these really high powered ads that just fall flat. And then you see things that you probably didn't expect to take off, just kind of go viral. I know one thing I know about TikTok is that every month or so, a, a different song from like 40, 50 years ago just suddenly catches fire and creates all these new dance memes. Yeah. And the kids are like, Oh no, I've never heard this one before. Yeah. <laughs> it's, who made this with such a vintage sound? Well, kiddo, it was made back in the vintage day. The song was made in 1978. And, yeah. <laughs> and now you're all just like, someone just put like a little flow to it. Right. I will say that happened to me with like ABBA. <laughs> <laughs> I know who and what ABBA is, and I'm well aware that they've been around for quite some time, but I, somebody played a song recently. I'm like, that's just, it hits right. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it can be a little bit confusing when you have artists like Doja Cat constantly making songs that have that 1970s-ish flow sound to it. And even the video for Say So at a very, like they went to a disco to, toward the end of it. So it does make sense that there would be some amount of confusion in that realm. I guess what I'm wondering is, is there a way of knowing or having a good idea about whether or not a certain video, a certain ad, a certain image, wherever you're putting it is going to work or does the randomness of what catches and what doesn't just kind of overwhelm that whole system? In some ways, randomness is part of that test and learn. You just see what works what sticks great move forward with that if it doesn't work if people don't respond okay we'll ditch it move on marketing is about like learn quick fail fast and like let's keep it moving here that said the skeletal system of the structure of the conversation is i guess what i'll refer to and this is to say within the realm of psychology within social interaction within podcasting where people can then kind of make it their own and muscle and fibers to this skeletal system. Not every skeletal system is going to look the same, but that base level skeletal system, it's more or less like the rules, the standards, the best practices, they exist for a reason. 
there may be twists and turns and all these new different like, iterations, but the crux of, you know, what these old school sort of like best practices and what we see with the Super Bowl commercials, like, you know, the tried and true methods of like, you know, what I would call longer form commercials, which maximum, what, like two and a half minutes, uh, if we're like on the long end or something like that. I don't know, like the, like the true duration of them, but that's a format that's been around for decades. Mm-hmm. And so there's that knowledge of what kind of stories connect with people. And I like using the Super Bowl ads because those are the few areas where those ads don't seem to me necessarily targeting a specific demographic group. Is in they expect that nearly everyone from a five year old kid to a ninety five year old will be watching that Super Bowl because it's one of those things that you expect pretty much everyone to watch. So there's certain psychology, psychological factors that determine or that you're supposed to follow best practice. Like you don't start an ad by pissing everybody off or certain other. I'm not say you don't start that way. That is a completely viable route. Oh, wow. Okay. He looked at as an asshole for doing so, but it's hell. I'm of the mindset of, whatever your message is, you've got to get it out there in an effective way. And that means if you get to piss people off then what in the you know meantime, this is the world of business. You're not going to be making friends every single word, like, you know, place you go. That said with the Super Bowl ads, they're kind of ranging the entire gamut in most senses. Whereas if you're doing like Google marketing and Google ads, Facebook, Instagram, those platforms provide hyper-targeted scenarios where you can, you know, refine age group, demographic, you know, all this stuff. There's sort of like two different approaches because if you think about like a smaller business, they're not going to have the budget to create that Super Bowl ad that just, it costs millions because you're going to get in the eyes, in front of the eyes of millions. That's how that works. When you have less money, you have to be more cognizant of where you're putting that money. And so that's where all the initial work, the understanding of yourself, the product, whether it's therapy or... I don't know, read, go work out and just find what works. Do all that pre-work, know exactly what your product is and who you are talking to so that you can make these more specific Facebook, Instagram, Google, all these hyper-specific marketing platforms work for you. If you don't know who you're talking to, specific or Super Bowl, nothing's going to stick. And it sounds like you're talking about the importance of, of like trial and error too, and trying on a small scale, because I think a lot of companies, a lot of people in their endeavors do that, where it's like you do a, a little test market. I remember I spent my high school years in Illinois, and at the time, the town of Peoria was known for being the most average town in America. And so every single fast food chain would just say, okay, if we want to know if this is going to sell everywhere, we're just going to try this new Western Whopper or whatever the product is in Peoria as a test. And then you see if it works before you go nationwide. Of course, that's a really big scale because it's still a whole city and a whole country or a whole continent. In this case, there's other ways to test a story out. And I think that's where people go into, I don't know if you do this in your business with the focus groups and some of these trial groups. Yeah, there is massive benefit to those focus groups. We don't actually handle that specifically. We will kind of go in and build out these character profiles of 
who are you talking to? Are you talking to like middle-aged Susan with two kids that lives in the burbs of Peoria? And as a Chicago native to it, that's, you know, I couldn't help but laugh. Just <laughs> yeah, bring back memories here. You can really only know your audience when you've seen how they interact with whatever it is that you're serving up to them. Because up until then, you can only put in as much planning and hypothetical scenarios of, well, if this, then that, then, you know, that happens, then how do we get them into the sales funnel and then, and then, you know, all this stuff. You can forecast and forecast and forecast until you have these specific use cases. And that's where this user testing and whatnot. And, you know, there's businesses that are exclusively around for this kind of thing. That's the kind of information that that will illuminate for businesses of all types. And so that's the only way to really get it. And so the important point is finding a way to build, I think a lot of people call it the minimum viable product or, you know, whatever version of it is and test it with a big enough audience to get that information and know if it's going to work, but not with like your entire crowd where you've spent so much money, you've spent, you've blown all your money on something that potentially is not going to work. It's an interesting concept because I'm not like a, a product expert, but then, you know, I hear product experts say, think about like a water bottle. Companies are starting to come out with more intricate water bottles that have add-ons and all these different little you know, knickknacks that a water bottle could just turn into a rocket ship or something. I don't know. What, but, <laughs> yeah. You know, you hear these product experts say more or less what you just said is, we'll start simple because you need to know that simple product A is going to work with your entire market. Because if you go A, B, C, D, like through the entire product line, get everything out there and then it just doesn't stick. Well, you've blown through your entire dinner budget and that's appetizers, drinks, dinner, dessert. Now you have no money left for any food. You've wasted it on an audience that does not care, does not know how to utilize it. What's the point? So start small, get it out there and see how people react and respond so that you can start understanding what your market is, what they need and where they're going to interact with it. Now, I also want to make sure I talk to you about your business, specifically Studio 301. How long have you been creating this photo and video content, this storytelling for brands? It's four years now. And storytelling is just, it's like the art of conversation. It's the stuff that in life makes going to networking events and going out and being with friends. That's what human interaction is. And why else are we going out if not to hear these stories that drive culture and help us learn new things and find new, exciting stuff? That's the whole crux of it. And so why should we handle a brand, a product, a service any differently? Because stories, we know resonate with people. It's just a matter of you got to find the people that are good at telling stories. What kind of people and what kind of products do you generally try to work with? We don't work, we don't aim to work with like specific types of products. I'm sort of the first filter, so to speak. And that like, you know, I will talk to people and I will figure out, okay, well, what makes you you, Stephen J? You've gone through social psychology, you're a podcaster, you're a rad dude, you got the New York, you know, blood and flowing through you. Yep. Cool. Okay. So we got that. 
now what makes me want to work with you? Are you an individual that's focused on doing good? Are you completely selfishly just aiming to get this product on the market, sell it in a couple of years? Everybody has a different MO with going into business. Some people are in it for the passion of the game. I did that. I started because I loved what I do. Well, then I fucking hated everything I did. And I realized that. And I shifted my role within my company. I said, all right, I'm not going to have hands on. I'm not hands on camera. I'm not designing. I'm not doing any of that stuff. I've now found people that are far better than I am. These contractors, they are the people that I pull into projects. Based on the project brief, whatever actually needs done, the team, the respective people that I bring to the table, that shifts accordingly because there's videographers, there's photo editors, there's people, experts within different categories. Studio 301, I always say, you know, I speak about it in the we standpoint because I'm just the front man, really. I go out and I have the conversation. But when I speak about 301, what I really mean is that any projects that we're able to get, like this is an opportunity to showcase these badasses that I've found, these friends that I've come to meet with in whatever capacity. I want to work with them. I want to pull them in and showcase their talents. What you're saying is one of the biggest benefits of starting your own firm, your own company, is the fact that you get to choose who you want to and who you don't want to work with. And if there's someone who you really feel like it's a bad fit or they're not in it for the right reasons, you can say no and choose to use your time and your contractor's time and talents for something that you would rather be doing or or a store you'd rather be showcasing. Yeah. It's, you know, the more work you do on yourself or your product, whatever it is, the better you understand that when you get an offer that just doesn't align with you, where you say, nah, thanks. I'm good. Uh, can move on here. And then you inevitably find something that's bigger, better, suits you more specifically. It could be even smaller, but it could be just that right, you know, it hits all the right notes and that's what you held on for. And you're like, you know what? I'm so happy I did that. But it, again, it circles back to all that, like the initial footwork. You got to know yourself. You got to put in the effort, do all that. And then you can know this is going to be more worthwhile in the long run. Sometimes that's something that people neglect to do at a young age. What do you think, if anyone listening out there right now is thinking about an idea or is thinking about what their passions are, should do to make sure that they know themselves sufficiently before they choose what endeavor to get involved in? There is no simple answer to that. Everybody's path is hyper-personalized. Everybody's solutions are incredibly non-linear. A brand is a little bit more linear in the way that you can actually get it out there and tell something about that. When it comes to personal development, there are tools and you know things that you can do. You can read self-help books. You can go be therapized. You know, I didn't grow up with much of a really any understanding about mental health or maintaining one's overall mental state. I grew up in the middle of class burbs of Chicago, not Peoria, but, you know, it was the mentality of we have everything we need. So why, why you sad? So the starting point is go out and meet people because the more people you meet, you can then see, you know, for me, for instance, I met more people, I met people going through depression, through all these different things. And then I started to see, well, I kind of feel like what you're, you're talking to me about right now. Does that mean I'm depressed? Uh-huh. 
the more people you come across, the more you learn. The more you learn, then you can relate that back to yourself. It's like watching a movie. You could be sitting in somebody else's storyline, but you're thinking, well, who am I in this? What do I relate to? So then inevitably, as you talk to all these people, as you watch all these movies, hear these different stories, you're going to start kind of piecing things together. So whatever works for you, whatever works, just the key is go out, find people, find new different strategies because somebody may exhaust all therapeutic items and roots. They can be highly medicated, they, you know, all this stuff. And an answer could be they have to do a, an MDMA thing out in Costa Rica or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. You know, or mushrooms. We've all read that story, therapy. that place in Colombia where you can hunt the mushrooms and have that trip. But yeah. It's not for me. I'll put it this way. Like, I, you know, I'm sober since last June. And oh, wow. sobriety has been a massive element of change however it's not an easy thing to say oh yeah just go be sober that'll fix all your problems well i mean there is potentially enormous truth to that however the path to getting there for me was just as i said it's non-linear and hyper personalized so meaning you can't advise one to get to sobriety that's not an easy thing to achieve Somebody just has to go through it for themselves. The key is that you continue putting yourself out there, finding people, going through these different experiences, because sure, alcohol will make you experience all of these different life lessons. It is the vehicle for that. And I say experiences as opposed to like learning life lessons. You can experience things whilst you're drunk. However, it impairs your overall cognitive reflection of what you're experiencing so are you actually learning in a lot of cases i'm going to say probably not nearly as effectively as you would otherwise well it's interesting because this reminds me of the advice that a lot of people will see in like self-help books or youtube videos where they say if you wake up at 4 30 every morning you will be successful or some sort of combination whereas it feels like as you said it is a very individual like what works for one person is not going to work for another person Exactly. And like, so yeah, the 4.30 club or 5 a.m. club, there is validity to it. There has been incredible success that is born of it. But if you just get up at 5 a.m. and I don't know, go jerk off, grab three cups of coffee and just, you know, sit around and do nothing, play video games. <laughs> well, yeah. What else are you doing with your life? You can put the right pieces in order and still not doing anything with them. Like it just you have to action and actually follow through with it. Well, it reminds me of people who get into a bad place in life and they think moving to another city is going to solve all their problems. And oftentimes they need to move to another city because you need some sort of change, but that alone doing the exact same thing you've done in your city in just another town is not really going to change that much because those same patterns are going to emerge. One other thing I want to make sure my audience gets a chance to get a hold of you if they're interested in um, Studio 301, if they're interested in talking to you about their brands, the brands that hopefully a lot of you out there are developing right now as you get inspired by some of these episodes, what would be the best way to contact you? Of course, we are studio301.org. The .com was taken and I don't want to have to buy out anybody for it. So <laughs> pack that up to a lazy business owner. Yep. Kyle at studio301.org. I am always 
always happy to have a conversation and at the very least probably send along a couple tidbits and things that you can just take and implement on your own time. The people along the way that have given me those little moments, the mentors, the people that have stuck with me, I wouldn't be here. I'm not saying I'm like here. I'm nowhere near where I'd like to be. However, I would not be in the stance where I'm perpetually learning, pushing, challenging, applying pressure to myself without the people that have stood by me in some of my darkest moments. So because of that, whatever it is that you're in it for, like, I want to help raise you up. That's amazing. A lot of people are realizing that for a while we had this narrative, this story, this cultural story of the inventive person who puts their headphones on and just sits in front of a computer for 75 straight hours and just develops this cool new app. And now all of a sudden they're rich, ready to go. Whereas a lot more people now are realizing it's not really about that. Most people need the support of someone to get by, even if the person who spent 75 straight hours coding needed someone to like cook for them for a couple of those meals so they could stay yeah, awake or something. You need somebody that's like, I don't give a fuck what you're going through. I'm still here for you. And that's hard to come by. Even if you have those people then diving the level deeper of the people that will actually say something when something needs to be said, but most people on the planet will not say anything. Those are really significant people to keep around if you can find them. Yeah, I feel bad for the people that don't have them, to be honest. I think there was a survey recently about a quarter of Americans right now feel like they don't have a single person they can confide in. So it is tough. And I hate to finish this out on a darker note, given that we talked about so many other <laughs> happier yeah. things throughout yeah, this episode. Let's go back to 9-11. That might be a little <laughs> bit more pissed. <laughs> we talk about those things, but there are a lot of happy things going on. I think the fact that there are people out here that are following their passions, getting to know themselves, getting to know themselves by going out and meeting people. I think after a couple of years of some form or another of keeping to ourselves due to this pandemic, we're all ready to go out there and meet more people, interact with people, get to know more people, get to know more cultures, all these great things that are all going to help us get to know ourselves and build more cohesive community, as well as that social interaction that we all need to have a really good, happy, healthy life. Mm -hmm. it, it's an interesting concept because like, if you think about podcasting and I don't want this as a note to underplay the significance of podcasting, of telling stories, mm -hmm. working through issues, whatever it may be, you know, you think about, everything that's going on in the world. And this is on the you know tail end of COVID. Now we're, we have everything with Ukraine, Russia, and wherever that ends up going. There's incredible strife yeah. mm -hmm. in our world. And there's part of me that's like, are we just talking on a podcast while the whole world is just crumbling at our feet? But then I think back to how did we get through COVID? Well, the world still has to maintain course. Things must go on. Mm -hmm. Yep. Content, as much as I hate the term, must be made. People consume, people learn, people always strive for more, want more. And even though the world is seemingly crumbling and in complete turmoil. 
And to bring it back to your main point, people still want stories. People, whether you're going to a movie, which usually is a story or a series of stories, or looking at your brand, it's still a story and people still want those because you're still a human being with the same human needs that don't really change when a virus hits or anything else happens. Yeah. It's stories are the one moment of solace, solitude and escape. It could be Mm -hmm. whatever it is that you as an individual or business are looking for in a way. Definitely. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for joining us today on actions antidotes telling a little bit of your story as well as describing the importance of all the stories you're telling for all your brands. And I'd like to also thank everyone out there for listening today and encouraging you to continue tuning into Actions Antidotes for, I mean, I guess when these interviews, I'm telling stories about people who have followed their passions and achieved something that they want in their lives. In Kyle's case, it's being able to work with the the people and the brands that he wants to work with and being able to go out there and meet and get to know more people. And for some of my other guests, those stories will be a little bit different, but enough of these stories. And hopefully you'll find the one that really resonates with you and the path that you really want to pursue. Well, there you go, Stephen. Thank you. It's been just a pleasure to reflect on brand and story in the most broadest of senses, I guess. Yeah, I guess I tend to be broad. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. I yeah. actually gave me more of an opportunity not to talk about myself, but simultaneously, like, writer only writes about what they know. Yeah. Here I am talking about myself just in third person. Well, <laughs> we all talk about ourselves in that way. All right. Well, have a good afternoon, everybody. Thank you. Bye, guys. <laughs>